This is Gramercy, the podcast that highlights the stories of those who live and work on the margins of society. I'm your host, Corey Malat. Thank you for coming on this journey with me. Welcome to Season 3. This season, you will get the privilege of meeting the formerly incarcerated and those who mentor, employ, and restore hope into their lives. I am partnering with Defy Ventures to bring you this dynamic series that will teach us what the journey looks like for life after prison. I am so excited to introduce you to Chris Johnson today. His narrative is filled with incredible self-reflection and an awareness of who he was versus who he is. He speaks with a depth of honesty that is a rarity these days. I am in awe of Chris's clarity of expression and thought. The themes of fear and courage, cowardice, as well as the need to perform in order to feel valued were common threads that ran through our conversation while he was sharing his story with me. After spending 15 years in prison for robbery, Chris Johnson was recently released this past May and is doing wonderful. He now works as a transformational coach for the nonprofit group Success Stories. When we sat down to talk, he had this awesome picture of this lion as his Zoom background. He named him Wayne, just so regal looking and strong. After visiting with Chris, I learned that it couldn't have been a more perfect representation of who he is. It represents the strength of character and resilience he now possesses. Join me as Chris reveals with profound vulnerability the story of his life. Chris, I am so excited to have you with me. I can't wait to hear your story and to see the world from your point of view. Man, thank you so much for having me. I'm usually the one trying to investigate into other people's stories, mm-hmm. so it feels a little odd. I'm like a people watcher, and I listen for the little things, and so it feels a little, um, I don't want to say undeserved or unwarranted to be the focus, but I, I accept it as a new experience, and so I'm excited too. I like your openness already. I mean, just introducing you, I already have one new facet of who you are. This is going to be fantastic. Well, I'll start really easy with an icebreaker question. If you could live anywhere in history at any time, where would you go and why? So much of history is Europe-focused. I'm comfortable with your European, you know, ways. But I do know from my experience that I could adapt. There's something that interests me about the, um, the I want to say the Polynesian islands, but the history of how those islands got populated. Wow. Because, yeah, because um, although I love nights, I love all that, but it's romanticized and the reality of it would probably wore me out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a freedom in being in those beautiful places where it's warm and things like that. And to look at the ocean and have the courage to travel it yes. in the hopes of finding another land yes. and carrying on your culture. So there's like a, there's a teamwork um, that needs to take place in that. There's a warmth and a beauty 
and then there's like a courage element. And so like those three things to me come together to make like a rich experience. You know, even if I were to drown or something like that, I just believe that, uh, that some of those Polynesian islands, when I go to the beach and I look out over that water and I can't see anything out there, it looks like it's the end of the world. Uh-huh. To get on a canoe that you, your grandpa made, trust in the stars and whatever spirits you got guiding you. Like, could you imagine? I love how you're going to more of a time of rich character. It's the character traits you really want to dive into and learn more about, not necessarily a time frame or anything else. I, I find that interesting. And every time you keep saying these people on this small island in the middle of this large expanse of water, I keep thinking of the insignificance of humans. When you see yourself as a speck of <laughs> dust on this yes. whole big old planet, it puts it all right. in perspective, doesn't it? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's but what you're still... seeking. What caused this oh, yeah. per- these people to think they had the guts and the courage to explore? Right. right. Yeah. Because we know what's in the ocean for the most part. We Whales, we took classes, what a whale is. Mm-hmm. But if you've never seen a whale before, it is, that's a sea monster for exactly. all you Exactly, know. exactly. And so to look out and to not know what's in that deep water, but to also know that you can't breathe in the water and to get in a canoe with no life vest, um, it was either the motivating factors, you know, population density or whatever the case may be, mm-hmm. were that high or there was just a, a calling of, of discovery, you know? And so, mm-hmm. like, there is a time frame. I don't know what it is, but there was a time when those islands were, begin- were being populated. And that's just, I don't know, it just seems the ocean, maybe it's because I'm just getting out of prison or something like that, like the, the ocean and uh, the beauty of it, the warmth, and then uh-huh. also the, the character stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. Well, I mean, all right, you've already floored me. We're into the icebreaker question. And we've already gone deeper than I have with most people. Okay, this is fantastic. Well, um, (laughs) are you comfortable sharing your childhood with me and some of the joys and the hardships that defined who Chris grew up to be? What what is it that shaped Chris? Like looking back on it, um, it's easier now because people provided the tools. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I was born to... um, uh, high school sweethearts you know my mom and my father mm-hmm. you know they met when they were like I think in junior high or something fell in love and all the type of Aww. stuff yeah it, it sounds good so I was a love child for sure yeah however um you know they they broke up when I was three my father had a lot of trauma in his life growing up my mom did as well and so you know the their fantasy of what love was the, when the reality came when they graduated high school was difficult mm. so um you know, it, they broke up when I was three. My father stayed in my life till I was about six. And he was like a doting father. But at six, he just disappeared. I have an incredible mom. So my mm-hmm. mom, without knowing the tools necessary to raise a kid, her love was like her compass. She put me first in everything. And I knew that, you know, so. Wow. Um, what intense, yeah. fierce love. I still feel it. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, my mom is, um, you know, she didn't have all the tactics right. You know, she she inherited a lot of ways to mm-hmm. control your children or protect them that were not helpful or beneficial. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, but my mom never quit. Um, she never gave up any type of sacrifice that she had to make financially. She made sure I didn't feel it. So many times we had to live in a one bedroom apartment and she'd give me the whole bedroom. She'd live in the living room pretty much. Mm. You know? 
things like that. You know, wow. um, I went to a private school, kindergarten to first grade, went to private school. She always found little trips to take me on to Catalina or little things like that. Say she'd make games out of like not having too much money. So we'd go to the store she, or like McDonald's or something. She'd say, all right, Christopher, you have $3, you know, so what are you going to do? And I'd look at the menu and I'd, I'd feel like I have some type of control. Like this is a game. Well, let me get this and that. And, wow. You know, so she, yeah, she had a magical element to how she did it. You know, um, uh-huh. there are scary moments too, because she's a single mother working all day. Um, and you're an school, only child? Found, yes. Okay. Um, my father, um, my father had three more children, but I didn't find that out till I was 30. So from, from wow. six to 30, I didn't know my father. It shaped me in a, in a, in a, in a, in a weird kind of way because, uh, like people are abandoned by their fathers. It's true. But I kind of always called mine like a chronic abandonment because mm. my mom knew where my father was at. My father knew where I was at. Um, my mom would take me to, mind you, she was, um, there were, there were, high school sweethearts. So she knows his mom, his mm-hmm. brothers. Mm-hmm. So she would take me to go see his mom. She would leave me there hoping that he would come and spend time with me. She would beg him to spend time with me. And he just wasn't trying to have it. So my uncles really didn't invest in me. I think I've, um, I spent like a day or two with one uncle and like a, a day or two with another uncle one time. My grandfather died. My mom's dad died when uh, I was five. So I didn't really have a lot of male influence and real, role models. Uh-huh. But, but I had a heck of a mom and a heck of a grandmother. So my mom taught me all the etiquette. She taught me, um, I don't want to say taught me how to be a man, but she, she provided a lot of enriching environments to make sure that, uh, that I wasn't lacking. So I was in sports and plays. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, she took me to restaurants, you know, made sure I knew how to tie tie. My mom taught me how to throw a football. My mom kept me in sports. So she provided this really enriching uh, environment and the elementary schools that I went to. Um, my best friends were only children as well with no father. Wow. Like, what I, a coincidence. Yeah. yeah, it was great. Like I, I, I always use the term providence because I really, when I look back, I see a lot of providence. You know, my mom was a, you got a picture that she, she'd wake up, take me to school. Um, after school, there was like an after school program that I would stay at. Uh, she'd come get me at like six, take me to football practice or whatever, come home and then cook dinner and, you know, whatever, and, and do it every day. And um, sometimes she would be stressed out. You know, me being the only child, I'm, I'm, you know, you're observant. The only sounds in the house are yours and your mother's. I could tell when it was a time to have a conversation with her or time to like stay away from her, you know? Yes. You could read her moods. Correct. So mm-hmm. sometimes she wasn't the safest person to talk to mm-hmm. because uh, she was really, open. she was extremely protective. Mm-hmm. And then also, you know, um, she didn't always have the tools to manage her conversation. So I, I needed a lot of help with thinking and navigating um what was important to me and you know for a kid things that are important is like i got a crush on a girl but i don't know how to talk you know um um i'm scared of this or whatever the case may be i wasn't able to articulate it so i needed somebody a safe place to wrestle with my thoughts now at the age i am now i know that my mom would have been the safest person to do that with Uh because she cares so much about me but at the time, like small little outbursts from her stress terrified me. Mm. So I, I, at a young age, I made the choice that I'm not sharing anything with her. So were you afraid of being abandoned by her too? Because you didn't live up to like a standard that you thought she needed? Like 
Did you feel like you needed to be more mature for her than you felt? Uh, I did have to be, I did feel that I needed to be more mature than I felt. However, my mom's probably the only person that I ever felt like would love me no matter what I did. Good. Um, Good. But the problem was when you juxtapose that with my father's trauma, like the constant reject, the one-time rejection was one thing. My mom, me knowing that she's trying to get his attention and him not wanting to do nothing with me, mm -hmm. like, uh, and then, you know, my mom had a couple of boyfriends that would just leave. Like they had a couple, they would have children and I would get really close to them and then they, the relationship would fall apart and they would leave. So I felt like I was very disposable. Uh. So at a young age, you see, mm -hmm. so yeah. that you, it, it goes together. It does. So at it a does. young age, yeah, young age, I realized that, that this is the, I didn't realize this is a choice in my reaction to the to this pain because I buried the my father was really close to me at and at six I have no memories of him before six but my mom shows me pictures like you guys were all together all the time you're going to the zoo Disneyland mm. I just don't remember she said because it hurt me so bad mm -hmm. I don't remember crying but she does so she so blacked it I out know what happened now yeah sometimes that's the only sometimes trauma is so deep in order to survive it you have to just forget the pain right and literally i would argue with her i would argue with a therapist that my father leaving had no there's no issue like i have no problem but when i when he came back into my life at 30 and i'm sitting there and visiting and he shows me pictures of my other siblings and him you know wherever they were at florida all these other places i almost broke into tears right there inside the visiting room it was a foreign pain that I couldn't even, wow. and I spent all my energy right there trying to hide it, even in the visiting room. You couldn't name what it was at the time? Heck no, and it, and it kind of spooked me out. Mm. Well, it didn't, it didn't kind of, it did spook me out. Mm -hmm. I didn't want him to see it. I didn't want to feel it. And so I had to go back into the cell. Thank goodness I had all these tools from these groups I took in prison and things like that. So mm -hmm. that I was able to, when I got to a safe place, I was able to process it and admit to myself that, dang, I was in denial all these years about my father leaving, but it opened up the, it opened up. It's like in your life, if you only had three numbers, your whole mind and everything was based on one, two, and three, and you mm -hmm. could mix the numbers up. Okay. Two, one, three, three, two, one. You could do all that. Mm -hmm. And then somebody comes and hands you a four and a five. It just blows your whole world apart. That's an and excellent that's analogy. Happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's what happened, you know? Yeah. So I was able to realize that I was able to connect multiple dots to how I responded to so many things in my life. And what it was, was I chose to see myself as not valuable enough at a young age to keep somebody in my life. Hmm. And so I started performing. I figured mm -hmm. that I needed to have something extra. And so mm -hmm. from like the age of eight, I was like the funny kid in school. I would read the audience and perform for these mm -hmm. audiences and try not to offend them. So they always liked me being around. And I was just this mask of, whatever the audience wanted and that's how i felt i needed to perform in order to keep people wanting me you know so i was always thinking that if i just come just me um if i if i offend somebody or if i say something wrong or if i'm not um and if they're not enjoying me then they'll just throw me away and so i've been performing all the way until i had that realization and didn't know it wow. your and, heart can only take it for so long can't it and I love how you keep speaking of these tools. 
Um, I can tell you've done a lot of internal work because (laughs) even in how you speak of your mom and all of us, I mean, we all know our parents aren't perfect and we love them with everything in us, but we realize we do see a lack of tools sometimes of what they could have done different and didn't. We don't begrudge them for that, but I love how you're able to connect that. Like she did the best she could with what she had at the time, right? Right, Um, yes. I'm curious why your dad all of a sudden came back when you were 30. And were you curious about that? (laughs) I I was, you know, um, yeah, I I got a little, uh, she's a baby sister. So I have two sisters and a brother now. Um, I have a little sister, a baby sister that I'm 13 years older than. Uh, And what it was, was my father, after my mom, he remarried and had two children. That marriage in, ended in divorce. He remarried again and had one. Okay. The one child he had, um, it was very difficult for them to have that child. So they could only have one. Mm-hmm. They let her believe that she was the only one. But loving her the way they did, all every Christmas, she always asked for siblings. I want siblings. I want siblings. I want siblings. And they would mm. try and try and try. Couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And so when she was 15, they finally told her, like, look, you have siblings, you know, and her being the little special thing that she is, she reached out. Um, she got on his case and said, well, where's Christopher at? And he knew I got in trouble because my mom has been in contact with him all the time. Wow. You know, and so he said, I think he's in prison. And so she she wrote me a letter. Hey, I'm Erica. I'm your sister. Um, you know, my favorite color is blue, like mm-hmm. all this type of stuff. Yeah. And it, and you know, and so she was pushing, like, I want to go see him. I want to meet him. And she pulled him in and, you know, me being me, you know, he really saw value in me. And so that's what brought him in, you know, and, um, our relationship wow. still isn't perfect now. Yeah. But he's in your life. Uh, Yeah. He needs a lot of the classes I took in prison. <laughs> so, yeah. Like, man, like meeting him, it was, uh, I had these, these, these fantasy notions that would change over time, depending on my perspectives of who my father might be. Mm-hmm. But seeing him shattered all that because now it's the reality. Mm-hmm. And he was just a man. And he was just a man with serious trauma and issues. Mm-hmm. And even though he's, you know, he's, he looks like he's semi-successful, mm-hmm. um, his attitude and mindset, he, I couldn't help but feel like compassion for him that he needs, oh. even though at the same time that he's hurting me with yeah. his ignorance, I'm also recognizing that he's a person responding to the world as he sees it. Chris, that's so the- beautiful. <sighs> Talk about contradictory and like, dualistic you do not have a dualistic way of thinking it's not either or it's both and you see you see all the shades of color in between don't you and you're accepting this is one way but you couldn't help but also have compassion because you saw the trauma in him that is such a mature way of thinking and was it your was it your trauma was it your trials was it your experience in life that brought you to this way of seeing the world. I'm so curious how you got to this depth of human understanding of our psyches and our emotions. I really appreciate that compliment. You know, um, I think this is what I tell myself because I really don't know the answer, but uh, when you're an only child and you're like, I was well-behaved little kid, 
my mom took me everywhere. You know, I told you she was kind of protective. So I've been in the room, like watching people and listening forever, mm. you know? And so you start to kind of see patterns, you know? Um, yes. And people are, remember I told you that I, I would not want to offend people. Mm -hmm. So um, people have opened up to me about a lot of stuff because I feel I make myself safe for them. Um, which at first I was doing it because, you know, I, I was scared of getting rejected and it was really based on a lot of trauma, but there was like a value that came about in that yes. to where um, I realized that, you know, where when people open up and reveal themselves, you really see yourself, you know, you see that you get the reality shattered a lot, you know, so you see somebody one way and you're like, oh, man, this guy got it all together. He has everything going on. And then in some moment of vulnerability, he lets you know that he's afraid of like something small mm -hmm. and insignificant. And, he, you know, and then when that happens over and over and over again, you just start recognizing that, like, you know, um, people are, are, I don't want to say the same, but we're all feeling creatures. We're all, we all want similar things. Like we all want to be valued. We all want to have control we all want to feel like we're doing things right we want to be correct mm -hmm. you know we want to feel strong and you know things like that and so we want to be appraised by other people and uh accepted by people and and so yeah i've been, I've been watching the little facial expressions and watching the little behaviors mm -hmm. all the time you know and so it's like it's come to be like my superpower a little bit yeah you you're know? uber aware of where people stand on certain things you can tell by their body language and their responses and you know how to respond in kind it sounds like yeah yeah i, know how to, I mean <laughs> i don't want to say this sounds like a little otherworldly or nothing but uh i just know how to make room for people to not um to make them feel safe you know oh so i love that like, that is a beautiful personal goal to have and a beautiful way to live your life everybody wants that safe space and i think the way you know the way you know how to do that is because you're giving what you've always wanted maybe there it is mm -hmm. exactly so i'm just i'm floored trying to imagine how you ever ended up incarcerated i just can't picture this um what what incident led up to your incarceration because you seem to have such a beautiful whole grasp on the world and people. I'm just curious at what the trauma ended up doing to you that led to the mistake. Oh yeah. Oh, it, it, it was, uh, it was horrendous choices. Um, like even though I would have never said this to myself, but I didn't feel value. And so, like I told you, I was performing. Mm -hmm. And so from the age of eight to, you know, 12 or whatever, I was the funny kid, funny, athletic. That was what the audience wanted. And that's what I gave to them. And it made me feel, you know, uh, value, you know, now, of course I would look and I would kind of envy people getting different forms of attention. I wanted girls to have crush on me, things like that, but it didn't really pan out that way. I was like the funny guy. But when I turned 12, we, we moved to a different area, 12 and 13. I grew up in, um, San Fernando Valley. I was born in San Fernando Valley, went to elementary school. We moved to Santa Clarita Valley, which is by Magic Mountain. And so it was a different, uh, different demographic. But um, okay. a lot of things were happening. And so, mind you, I always had an insecurity about manhood in the uh -huh. sense that traditionally in our culture, we define being a man as like the ability to 
uh, be dominant, you know, uh, use violence to solve problems, you know, um, objectification of women, like all these things are, this is what comes into what a manhood is. And so by me not having a model, I would look to movies for cues on what's expected of a man, you know? Mm -hmm. I could hear my mom having conversations with her friends over the phone about a date she went on or whatever the case may be, or she would try to emphasize certain traits like Christopher always, you know, be aware of this um, because she wanted to raise a, 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 a good man, you know? So mm -hmm. I knew how to behave, but um, I was always insecure because nobody showed me how to throw a punch, none of that type of stuff. I had no art in going to try to get a woman's attention. Like I didn't have any of that, mm -hmm. but I didn't want to show people that I didn't know that because I felt like it was a shameful thing. Mm, so, so lots I of insecurity. A, oh yeah, big time. Super yeah. insecure, super self-worth issues. And um, I also learned that I had something called a fixed mindset at the time. Um, and it's, it's, you know what that is? I do. Fixed mindset? Yes. Okay, yes. yeah. So, so I believed that honestly, if you're not, if you're not smart, then you're not smart. I had a, a, a version to effort because I believe that if I had to, if I had to work hard at it, it's because I'm not naturally good at it. Mm. And, and so that changed how I went to school, you know, so, um, so you started believing, you, only child. you started believing negative things about yourself. Oh, from day. Yes. From an early age, before I even remembered where I started to like have that negative self talk about myself, you know, even it though was your mom was affirming to you. Yes. And that, and that's the reality is my mom was affirming to such a high degree that I was the golden child. I'm precious and I'm valuable that it oh. didn't seem like honesty. It seemed oh. like my mom is in La La Land. <laughs> I see. And she's just, I see. I couldn't let it in. I couldn't let it in until like a couple of years ago. <laughs> like, wow. Right. Wow. So okay. I knew that she would behave as if I was valuable, but I felt that she was deluded as to my value because that's mom. Of course, she's going to think her kid is valuable. That's you right. Know, but the rest of the world is, the rest of the world will throw me away in a second. Uh -huh. So mm -hmm. I got to perform, you know? Um, and so the fixed mindset, me going to school was time to be with my friends. It wasn't time to learn. It was me at home by myself waiting to go see my buddies. So school was for social, social time. Mm -hmm. Sitting in math class in English, the challenging aspects of it, as far as like, you don't get to stretch your brain to, to learn. Yes. It felt like other smart kids don't have to do that. I'm not smart. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so I would try to try to put it beneath me. So by the time I got to junior high, I started ditching school. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do homework. I just wouldn't do it. You know, mm. because, and then I would put it beneath me. I find mm -hmm. reasons to say school is stupid, school is dumb. It's just whatever. Because I was trying to, you know, put it under my feet. Yeah. You know? But what the the worst thing I did though was I adopted what pop culture was saying because that was my compass to guide me through navigating the things I wanted as a young boy. Mm -hmm. So the world was telling me what it expected, especially of a young black boy. Mm -hmm. So I was venerating all the wrong stuff. Even mm -hmm. though I knew how to behave, I knew how to open doors and what silverware to use. In my mind, I'm thinking Tupac. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. This is the masculinity I need to emulate, mm -hmm. at least in my mind and in my little behaviors. Did you feel like your mom was out of touch with the reality of society at the time? Like, she's te teaching me all these things that are not really what a man is, and so I'm going to take my cues from culture and all of that. She doesn't really know what she's oh, yeah. talking about. 
Yeah, she knows a little yeah. bit, but she doesn't know because I'm navigating it. I'm yeah. at school. You know. I'm seeing it. And, yeah. yeah. And and I went to a school that's like, um, you know, in the Valley, it's multicultural. But where we moved to was predominantly white. Mm. And so I'm growing up. I'm hearing rap lyrics for the first time with my with my white buddies. <laughs> and they're expecting me to know stuff that I have no idea about <laughs> because I didn't grow up in South Central. I don't know. Yeah. Gang, bang, crip blood i don't know none of that you know uh -huh. but i'm feeling like if i don't know then i'm really missing some type of black ingredients you know oh funny <laughs> yes you see what i'm saying and see so what I, you're saying i mean that's a big deal especially at that age i didn't have courage i always saw myself like a coward back then i, I wouldn't have said it back then because i was acting all brave i played football I, all this but um the biggest courage is acceptance of self and being willing to be rejected and i was not willing to do any of that Mm. So oh, that is such beautiful wisdom. And you seem to know this oh, intimately. Oh yeah. Oh every day. I yeah. will not go back into that cave. I'm out. Good. Good. I'm out to feel and everything. Yes. Good. So, I just don't want other people to be weak to wake up when they're 30. I'd rather uh -huh. them wake up. I'd rather them never go be go to sleep. So what that that's really what was going on. I, I started venerating the wrong ideas. Mm -hmm. Um also you know, I wanted to have esteem. I wanted people to value me, you know? And then when you're looking at the different groups of where can I get some value? You look at the kids that are going to Stanford and preparing for SATs, and you're like, eh, that takes a lot of effort to get to be valuable in that group. Mm -hmm. You look at the athletes, you're like, okay, you have to perform at a certain level. And when you're in elementary school, it's easy. But as you get older, you realize, well, this, this guy is more developed than I am already. He's able mm -hmm. to bench press a lot more, he has facial hair. It's getting harder to compete at a higher level. You know, am I really going to be able to play college ball? And so there's an effort there as well, you know? Mm -hmm. But when it comes to the people that are just, some of the times they call them the cool kids, they're in my age and when I was in high school, they're ditching school, smoking weed, they're irreverent, like they just give in to any impulse and you get rewarded in that group for that. Mm. It takes the least about it effort. I see. So those worked hand in hand. It was the easiest way to get yeah. value by just hanging out with this group and not doing nothing. Like we just talk crap about everything. Uh -huh. um, um, the, the smoking and drinking was difficult for me because my mom was so vigilant when it comes to scents and smells. Mm -hmm. And when you're hyper aware of people's appraisal, you don't, well, I didn't want to be in a different headspace. Mm. So I never liked drinking to this day. Like I never liked drinking or being high. Mm -hmm. However, I didn't have the courage to say, hey guys, I really don't like being high or drunk. Because <laughs> it was the belonging it's, you were looking for mostly, right? It, yeah. Yes. I wanted people to say, I wanted, I wanted people to page me, to call me. I wanted to feel like I was in demand mm -hmm. because then it would, you know what? I'm gonna give you a saying. There's a, a guy named Schopenhauer. He was like an old philosopher. His great book. But in there he defined he articulated his observation of the difference between pride and vanity. He said that pride is having the conviction that you are something without it needing to be confirmed by anybody outside of you. So if you think you're beautiful, you don't need anybody to tell you you're beautiful. I'm beautiful. Yeah. If you think you're smart, I'm smart. Now that can be good or bad depending on the situation, but that's what pride was to him. He said vanity is trying to get to that conviction about yourself through other people. Oh. That was the performance. 
that is fantastic. I mean, instantly I can relate to that. I can relate to times I've done both of those. See? Yeah. So I'm only beautiful if people tell me I'm beautiful. Mm -hmm. I'm only smart if people tell me I'm smart. So while people are telling you or telling me, I'm feeling it. It's great. But let a weekend go by without my phone ringing. Depression. Mm -hmm. Immediately. I, I'm, I must not be worth anything now. Because so the audience determined how I felt about myself. And that was no bueno. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, venerating these ideas um, uh, turned as I got older, even though I'm getting jobs. Like I, I even worked as a banker because I knew how to perform. You, know? you knew what people I wanted. Could, <laughs> right. But deep down, I'm having insecurities about do I measure up in this space of um, where I put all the value, which is like mm -hmm. 50 cent, all these types of things where you have to have a lot of money. You had to have a lot of women's attention. You had to be able to, to, to control and use violence to solve your problems. You don't show your emotions. Like these are the things that I felt I was lacking because I felt like nobody guided me into manhood and I was using that as a guide. So I had to at least have a fight. I at least had to, I had to get some other physical education. I had to have a car that looked a certain way. The only music I listened to was music that was aggressive, that made me feel powerful. Mm. I never listened to R&B. R&B, it gets to, I didn't want to feel. Yeah, there's a little more emotion in R&B, yeah. There's emotion in rap as well, but it's not, it's not, it's a totally different emotion on two different sides, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, and there's different kinds of rap. I mean, I know guys that rap, there's, there's intellectual rap, but that's not the rap I was listening to. Yeah. I was listening to, yeah, I was listening sure. to full object, objectify yeah. women, you know, um, violence to solve problems, make, make, make money. If you don't have these things and you're not a man, and if you're not a man, you're not valuable. Like you were just saying, there's different levels and different types of rap, R&B, hip hop, all of them. And it's so frustrating when people just want to negate all of a genre because of a few bad actors, right? Like you were just saying, there's some great uh, rap out there, but who do you yeah. choose to listen to? Which message are you more drawn to and how is it affecting your thinking and then your choices? Correct, exactly. You know, um, and, it, and it's complex. Like I tried not to make things simple, like two plus two is four. When we're talking about some serious, you're talking about the freedom of expression, wherever your mind state is at. So mm -hmm. if, I'm, if I'm ignorant about these things, I should be able to express my ignorance. And if I'm intelligent, I should be able to express my intelligence. Like, exactly. I don't want to hinder their expression, but yet there clearly is an influence. And who's responsible for the influence? I'd rather give somebody the tools to navigate to know like where where do you stand like because it's really ultimately about the choices we make in response to whatever's coming at us you know yes um and so i made the worst choices about that this season is brought to you by defy ventures they are a national nonprofit with a beautiful vision of cutting recidivism in half by leveraging entrepreneurship to increase economic opportunity and to transform lives. Defy's programs are helping currently and formerly incarcerated people across this country defy the odds by providing pathways that lead to employment, entrepreneurship, and a successful re-entry. Please visit Defy's website at defyventures.org and sign up for their mailing list to stay in the loop. 
Links to Defy's website and social media can be found in the show notes. I always felt insecure about money. I felt insecure about my toughness and things like this. And as I got older, um, I was 20, 20, 21, I met a particular woman who fit the bill of um, beautiful, all these types of things. And um, I was working at the bank and she uh, she was dating a lot of, mind you, I didn't have game. Like I had what we call today, like game. I just didn't have it. So this like was kind of like falling in my lap, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, but she had dated uh, a lot of NBA players, were always trying to get at her. Wow. Wow, exactly. You know, um, and she was just talking a whole realm. So me having the audience situation, you know, that this yeah. reaction to audiences, she became an audience of mine. And mm. So I'm picking up the cues. She's attracted to me, which was great. I'm like, okay, that's cool. Wow. That puts me on the level value-wise of all these NBA guys. There you go. Yeah. Now you but know how you need to time. act. Yeah. Exactly. But at the same time, insecurities kick in. I don't have NBA money, you know, but I'm working at a bank with a suit on and she thinks I probably do. Mm-hmm. I didn't have the courage to ask her that. <laughs> I just mm. made all the assumptions. Mm-hmm. I made all the assumptions and I started performing. I gave her promises of I'll be rich in six months. I'm going to start my own business. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Do this. Oh. I'm in this tailspin. Yeah. Performance. And um, quit my job to start a business. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> None. Oh, no. Put all my money in it. It's, 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 I'm, I'm losing money. She has no idea. You know, she knows we're losing money, but she has no idea how much uh-huh. and how bad it's getting. And so um, she venerates the same things I was venerating, you know, that, uh, yeah. that the gangster culture. And so uh, um, I put the idea in her head that, you know, well, hell, you know, drug dealers have money. I'll go. You know, maybe find a drug dealer and and get some money real quick so that we could keep it back in the business. And that, I've made it sound very sexy. And you mm-hmm. see what I'm saying? Oh, look how tough I am. I'm about to go get these drug dealers. Yeah. And uh, and so we were we had a little Bunny and Clyde thing going on. You know, really? um, I would get out the car. Mind you, now, now picture this. I don't want to make it seem funny or nothing like that. But this is really what was going on. Sitting in the car, pretending I got this. I'm about to go over here and do this. Now, mind you, I had. I had um, um, I bought firearms um, in my own name, 21, you know, um, since I was a little kid, we used to go to shooting range. So I've been around guns, you know? mm-hmm. bought them in my own name. Um, and so I already had guns, you know, but I'm painting this picture to her that like, I, even though I work at the bank, I'm really this tough dude. You know what I'm saying? I got gang member friends that, you know, I can't introduce you to all these types of things. I'm acting. I was just going to say, this sounds like you're putting on the best performance of your life right here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm, and I'm performing in every single way, trying to get an A. And every day I'm terrified that in some way I'm going to lose this and I'm going to lose all my value with her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so um, this, the thing about, I call it a very, uh, it's very narcissistic because I was so consumed with myself not being seen or being seen, at the same time being seen as a certain thing mm-hmm. that I'm not even thinking about other people. Like they're just, you know, um, and so uh, the desperation to maintain the image and to achieve whatever type of goal, I, it enabled me to objectify people as a, as a way to get to what I needed. Yeah, I can and see I would that. Just tell my, I would just tell myself a story that, oh, I'm not hurting anybody. They have insurance, whatever, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'd be in the car and I'd be brave in the car. She's seeing it, you know, 
oh, my boyfriend's about to go out and take care of business. I'd get out the car and it was like jumping out of a plane. I never, I've never done anything like this. I have no idea what the heck I'm doing. So I'm walking in between this car performance. I'm walking to another performance. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, in my head, I'm thinking, this is courage. This is bravery. Handle it. This is how, what bravery is. When really that was the right type of fear telling me, don't do this. this is exactly. Wrong. You know? And so, um, you know, I've made that choice every day that what people thought about me and being valued by people was more important than risking these people's lives. Mm. That's the choice I made. I made it. I made it over and over. And as the more I made it, the easier it became. Until wow. I hit a brick. Until I hit a brick wall. So you stopped and, listening uh, to that fear, and yeah, listen to the lie because, because I thought it was I thought it was cowardice. Ah, uh, yeah. And it wasn't. Yeah. I was being a coward every other moment. Yeah. In that moment, that was a time to be courageous and say, what the heck are you doing? You know, hey, I'm not going to destroy my character or risk these people's lives to perform. Um, and she had no idea. So I don't, I don't, it's not like she was making me do this. Mm-hmm. She's just looking at the performance. I'm not being honest with anybody, you know? And so it just eroded, it eroded my conscience. It eroded my, um, um my soul really like i was not i wouldn't see family like the more i was doing it i I was i was paying bills and i was able to buy her gifts and do all these types of things and perform but it was uh i was killing something off inside of me Mm. it didn't feel good and i didn't have a safe place to express it and navigate it couldn't tell her the truth Mm -hmm. and she'd be like well wait a minute i thought you were a tough guy that could handle business what's going on Mm -hmm. definitely can't tell my mom so i'm like i put myself in this this little cave, you know? And um, it wasn't until, uh, um, of course I get arrested and um, um, like a year later and uh, I'm in a pretrial and they're bringing the victims on the stand of my robbers. And uh, it was, what's funny, what's what's weird is like they they brought so many, there's people up there. I objectified these people so bad. I didn't even know who I robbed and who I didn't. Oh my. I had no, I didn't, I, I gave no, and I think this is a common denominator of a lot of criminal acts because I believe honestly that human beings naturally have empathy. And the only way we can hurt another human being in any way is if we uh, distort them and mm. make them into not a human being. Because the minute some of these people got on the stand and said what they were afraid of, not seeing their kids again, it shattered me. It shattered me like 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 nothing other because I was responsible for that. Yeah. I had never even visited. I gave myself a lie every time. Oh, they're okay. They're fine. They went through a moment of fear, but they weren't hurt. Nobody well, got you had to tell yourself that. that to continue living exactly. that lifestyle. To yeah. continue doing it, you know, yeah. which is um which is really de- a denial. And for so sure. be facing facing the reaction to it, I can, I couldn't, that story didn't work anymore. These people were hurt. Mm-hmm. These people were, were terrified and they were hurt in a way that would last a long time. The worst part about the things that I did to me is I created an experience in somebody's life that is a real experience that they'll be able to use to justify terrible choices in the future. Mm. So the next, right. So the next time they see a young black man in a hoodie, they feel that they have a right yeah. to prejudge him. They have a right to assume that he's there to do harm. Mm-hmm. And so my, imagine I, I'm, I'm in jail. I was just in prison 15 years and I'm watching the Trayvon Martin 
and I'm watching uh, all these things happen. And I'm like, I totally see the racism, I do. But I also see that I contributed to the justification for those attitudes. And so when they're when the congressman is getting up there saying it's just a hoodie, you know, it's just a sweater. I know that I brought terror to people in a hoodie. Uh -huh. And how do you how do you reconcile that? You know? Yeah. So well, how did you yeah. get to the point where you were able to be honest with yourself about all this? What it sounds like you hit bottom when you got into prison. Mm -hmm. Several people I've talked to said they continued. Um, it doesn't sound like you were in a gang, but they said they continued their gang lifestyle and they they didn't feel any remorse or change anything for years later. Did you start that internal work immediately um, or yes. did you still try to you did you didn't try to find your value in other people once you got inside? So some people have like this trans this transformational moment, this aha moment. I didn't have one that led to a full 180. What I had was moments, impactful moments that caused pivots that added up into a 180 degree. That's a good description. And so, yeah, and there was three lanes. Like, so when I got arrested, I was facing over 500 years in prison, which was like, what the heck? I'm like, well, hold on. It just seemed, <laughs> it seemed like so much that um, I immediately went to, when you need a miracle, who do you go to? You know? I and so, right. So immediately, uh, now I know why there's so many Bibles in county jail. <laughs> I went to, um, seriously, I went straight to God and I tried to, and I could be honest now because I have the clarity. At the time, I didn't think this is what I was doing, but I tried to manipulate God into getting me out of prison by changing my behavior. I picked up a Bible for the first time. Let me just uh -huh. randomly open it like a magic eight ball. You know, I'm reading and studying. I'm like, okay. And I'm changing my behavior, you know, so I'd read something and try to behave. You know, and so that was happening, but it was really manipulation, hoping that God would give me something for it, you know. And a transactional. Right, yeah. exactly. And it didn't work. <laughs> but also, I came from an area, I didn't know anything about gangs, really. You know, I had some guys that might have moved out there from a gang, but I wasn't in that type of lifestyle. So coming into the county jail for the first time, first time I've ever been arrested in jail, never been to um, juvenile hall or anything like that, uh -huh. it was shocking because I was seeing the reality of a fantasy that I had had. And so it, it was, um, I couldn't act and perform because these guys are real and authentic and they'll see right through that. Mm. So it provided me the ability to say, well, hey, um, let me take that mask off because it's only gonna get me into trouble and I might as well just be the square <laughs> nerdy That's kid interesting. That That's interesting though that you, felt that the people on the inside were the real and authentic people. Yeah, I, I mean, as far as that lifestyle goes, because traumatic situations in their life, they, they really are in gangs. They've really seen, experienced, done, and immediately I know that they, if I try to pretend and act like I'm anything that I'm not, it's gonna do nothing but cause problems. Mm -hmm. You know, nothing but cause, I was in the county jail for three years. And mind you, I was like, I was very afraid of the, not that for some reason, I wasn't afraid of the county jail. I was afraid of the court and me spending this much time. And I was, uh, I had a codependency going on with my girlfriend. So being away from her mm. was, my mind was on all that type of stuff. Being in the county jail and not being in a gang, but being the person I am, I was able to, I made a lot of friends, even though I wasn't in a gang, because I was just being a little bit honest 
or more honest about like who I wasn't trying to pretend I was being something I wasn't. Like I stopped mm -hmm. the, that. I stopped the 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 thuggish performance ended. Mm -hmm. You know, and but at the same time, because I wasn't super courageous yet, they would ask, "What are you in here for? How much time are you facing?" It's a common mm -hmm. conversation, and so they're looking at a square guy from the valley for the most part with a little bit of size to him. Tell him not like necessarily a weak person, but I'm facing all this time for all these robberies. So they're like, well, there must be something about them. <laughs> and so I hid behind that. It helped mm -hmm. me navigate that they're, you know, they see me in the court of reading, but they're, you know, at the same time, they're like, okay, he's a smart dude, um, but there must be something else to him because mm -hmm. he's in here for some serious. And I let that, I let that be thought. I let people think that, you know, and then over time, you really get to meet people for who they are. So there's no longer like, you get to see like, hey, man, where are you from? Oh, I'm from Santa Cruz. Where is that at? Oh, it's over here by Magic. Where are you yeah. from? Oh, I'm from Compton. Oh, I'm from Watts. Oh, for real? And I would just start to investigate like, you know, is it really like that? You know, it's just, oh, yeah, it is like that. It's this now, but it's really not like this. And now I see all the commercials, all the, the where I grew up, all the things that were being venerated and lifted up. It's a fantasy life. These mm. guys um, are, are, are just real people. And some of mm -hmm. them um, didn't have some of the opportunities I had. And so I felt shame for not even capitalizing on my opportunities. Mm. Like, um, I really took the easy way out. I took, I was like a real coward, you know? And um, you said you, you learned all these tools on how oh, yeah. to change your thinking. Did you start yeah. taking classes? Did you, did organizations come into the county jail or whichever prison you ended up in? Um, did you sign up for them or did you, were you forced to take them? Did you start talking to psychiatrists, psychologists? Like how did this transformation of your thinking take place? It was all, all books. Um, all books. My grandmother, all books. I've known how to read for a while. I read well, you know, but I did not read on the street. I didn't see utility in reading. Wow. So, but county jail, you're, you're, it's boring. Like there's nothing to do. Um, and my grandma would send me books and, um, I would see other people reading books. And so books just navigate. Like I told you, I started reading the Bible in pieces. I would ask people like, what book should I read in the Bible? I'd read it. And you know, the first other book you end up buying is a dictionary because you're running into words you don't really know. Yes. Dictionary. I'm yeah. a complete, bib um, bibli bibliophile. Is that what it is? Yes. Book lover. Yes. I am. Yep. Every book I read, I usually write down like quotes or things that stick out to me that I love that I learned from it. Yes. Do you do the same? Yes. Do you journal what you learn from your books? It's a little bit, but what I tend to do because I'm a talker, I'll okay. go and share it and hold class and and and, and challenge people, you know, um around Good me for with you. These That's so awesome. like my whole group of friends, we we do that. Like we attracted that about each other. So uh -huh. you know um uh -huh. Like I told you, I, I had Providence, like a bunk that I had for like maybe two years. The guy next to me, his, his, he loved reading. He wanted to be a writer. So his mm -hmm. family would send him the most disparate books, like Count of Monte Cristo, yeah. um, Harry Potter. The Count of Monte Cristo is probably not the best book to read in prison. <laughs> oh, oh my oh, goodness. It it, it's oh, a fantastic it story, but I mean, the guy escapes, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, but it's so, I, that's one of my favorite books. It's one of my favorite books too. The idea of revenge, like you yeah. know what the whole book is about before you start reading it. He's going to take revenge on yes. all these people in his life. Um, 
until you're like, well, why do I need to read the book if I know it, what he's going to do, right? Yes. So how did, I'm, I'm curious, how would that book help transform somebody? Because my big takeaway out of that book is you've ne- if you've never known great loss or hardship in life, then you'll never truly know great love. Isn't that one of the quotes that he says? Yeah. Oh, the yeah yes. Yeah. yeah. Here's the quote. Now I'm gonna go dark with you. I'm gonna go a little Please, bit dark. Go, go deep. Okay. I have a belief that there's a, a cycle that anybody can go through um, depending on your situation in life. And the cycle is based off self-preservation. And the self to me is like the ego. People will protect their idea of who they are. Yes. And so until something happens. And so I was trying to protect the idea of who I was until I got into jail and it was no longer useful. Like there was a, a, that situation caused enough dissonance for me to have shame because my grandma's looking at videos of her grandson rob people. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just, it's like, it's terrible. Um, I had a lot of shame. Well, that shame, it's, it's like a, like a, um, a fog of uncertainty, but if, if the dissonance is hits hard enough, you'll push past the shame into reconstruction. Mm. And I went, I went into reconstruction and reconstructed a new ego that now I have self-preservation for. And it just keeps oh, going around and around. That's genius. So have you read any Carl Jung? It sounds like you've been reading some. No, uh, no. I, he, I talks about, yeah, he talks about, yeah, he talks about, he's a oh, yeah. German psychologist who introduced the, the concept of your shadow self, the, the person you were just talking about, that yes. that image that we create. Um, and then once we come in contact with it and see the ugliness in it, we just want to, ah, we just want to run away from it and make excuses for yes. it and all of that. Um, man, okay, we need to start our own little book club, like where we talk about what yeah. we learn. I do that all the time. Like I'll read an article or a book and I'll text it to my kids and be like, oh my gosh, you totally have to read this so that we can talk about it. Like it's only yes. legitimate and worth it if you get to talk to others about what you're learning, yes. isn't it? Yes, See, yes. I knew we had it's that everything. connection. Yes, it yeah, is. Sure. I'm so glad you have for people sure. in your life yeah. you can do that with. So that yeah. is but where I- your transformation happened just slowly but surely each book it's a each each book and um just random conversations with some brave people Mm. um you know i would i I would sign up for classes when they had them um because my reputation in 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 jail became smart guy Mm -hmm. and so you know smart guy has to show up smart so (laughs) so, but you had to make sure that wasn't didn't become another mask that you hid behind oh it was this was the 15 year journey. Like I didn't get really? that. Yeah. When did yes. you learn to become so, vulnerable and, and be able to say, Hey, today guys, that's just not what I'm bringing or something. Um, I met it's, it's a company I'm in a working for called success stories. Um, there's a guy in there who was a, a feminist mm-hmm. and I became a facilitator in the group and we would mm-hmm. do, we, we focus on like self-awareness about your beliefs um what's most important to you do your actions line up with what you say is important blah 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 blah. but we had a topic which was toxic masculinity that even the facilitators hated all the defense mechanisms would pop up it'd be like dude i don't hit women what are you talking about like i don't Mm -hmm. what do you listen man uh you know she's playing the victim like all kinds of defense mechanisms would pop up yes and this dude would never give us an inch he was like bruh he would force us to read Yes, forces, bell hooks, and all kinds of stuff. And he would force us to wrestle with these ideas. I have that book right here, actually. Yes. <laughs> yes. You know what I'm saying? All about love. So, yeah. 
you can't consider what you don't consume. So once you consume it, and that's not mine, somebody else had that, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it works. Mm -hmm. Once I consumed it, I had to fit it in somehow. And I couldn't, you know, there's two ways to adapt. Like there's accommodation and there's assimilation. I couldn't assimilate the ideas. Mm. Everything else had to move for them. We taught about integrity and we defined what integrity was. And so when that happened, I was able to be self-aware enough. I'd matured enough. I'd read enough to this point that this was the new challenge to recognize when I wasn't being authentic and to either choose to be courageous or kick myself in the butt for being a coward again. And this has been the practice ever since. It's I got, I feel, I respond, I think, and I could share it, you know, and be open to new lessons. And that's, that's the honesty, you know? And so um, that took 15 years. It took 10. It took 10. 10. Okay. So, All right. so for the past five years, I've been, I've been in that, you know, for the past, yeah. Yeah. That's a little over five years. I've been in that. Yeah. So that's, it, it's, still, it's still developing. Yeah. Of course it's a journey, right? It's, it's not yeah. a race. And once you maybe become good at one thing, another thing will show its ugly face, right? <laughs> at least that's my experience. Yeah. I'll, I'll be like, oh, I'm really aware and conscious of this thing. And then I have this other black spot that I never saw on my, in myself, you know, oh, that yes. needs some attention. Yes. So for sure. How did you become involved with Defy Ventures? How did you meet them? And what did they do in your life to help you? I took a bunch of college classes. Business really resonated with me because of, especially like leadership and organization, because business is about um, enterprising and organizing your resources with an intentional goal um, to structure what you're doing and how time is being spent, resources are being spent, recognizing what the customer wants, which re- resonated with me, you know, in my audiences and performances. And so uh, um, I saw that business works, it, uh, those principles work outside of money-making. Like mm-hmm. They work in different arenas, you know? And so um, I was always attracted to business uh, and particularly entrepreneurship. And then also, um, you know, career-wise, I wanted to be in a position. I'm an only child. My mom has worked her butt off and uh, accumulated certain things that she's going to want her son to help manage, and I want to be responsible for that. So, uh, help to add value to that, have mm-hmm. some some intelligence to bring to the table. So, business was always a key thing. I was reading an article in um, it was either Wired magazine or Fast Company, and I saw Defy in there. And I was like, oh, that sounds good. Like, I wish they had it at this prison. And like three months later, there's like a sign-up sheet in the day room saying, hey, Defy's coming. They're only going to pick like 80 guys. You know, we're going to have, you know, sign up. You could be in the auditorium. You might be able to get selected. I got into it that way. Showed up. It was cool. Excellent. Um, it was interesting. Uh-huh. I've taken a lot of classes in prison. I've taught a lot of classes in prison. Uh-huh. Defy was different because it created opportunities for the best parts of me to be evoked and put into practice. Mm -hmm. I've been theoretically developing a professional guy of this, of that, or whatever, but he could only, this person I was developing could only express himself in the groups of my friends ever so often with little projects and things like this. But when we had these, when they would bring these people from the professional world into these auditoriums Mm -hmm. and we would prepare for it, this was, a person who's meeting this aspect of me for the first time. And they were expecting me, like there's like, like even now, like there's rules to how we have this conversation. This is how society works. Yes. And so um, 
So certain muscles will atrophy when you're code switching and you're only in this particular culture, you know? Yes. And so you see like, oh, there's COs, we're the blue, we're, we're wearing blue. There's all these prison vernaculars. Mm -hmm. And so um, even though you'd come to the side and have these little conversations and you would daydream about, you know, being a professional, things like that, like they provided the actual tangible experience of that. And it was great. Meeting these people, shaking hands, they're brand new faces, and they're they're not expecting a prison. They're not expecting prison jargon. They're not expecting me to speak in that in that particular code. Yes. They're expecting me to speak like a professional. And it was like the, my muscles reacted to that, like my mental muscles reacted to that in such a they loved it. I, it, brought, I really, it sounds like it brought you alive and it made it real world applicable. All the things you're boom. learning. Yeah. Boom. You know? Okay. Um, and it was really, really affirming for somebody to see, you know, we, I tell myself all the time, like, I'm more than a prisoner, I have value, I'm more than a prisoner, I have value. Mm -hmm. But there's very little of that getting confirmed by strangers. For sure. But families, family will say that, of course, it's your family. Your friends will say that. But a stranger usually just sees the blue, sees your case, the worst things you've done, you know, and I can only be mad at myself for that. But um, for these people to come in there and not see that, um, to get and in their, they're not just saying it; it's in their body language. They're mm. not afraid to be close to you. Mm -hmm. They're 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 looking at your face. They're not intimidated. They're curious about you. It felt it felt delicious. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah, it's something you've so, been craving yeah. for so long. It's like a a sponge that finally gets water, right? <laughs> exactly. I really appreciated that. The books were great. You know, um, they were actually really really good. Especially, I'd done so much work before, so some of it wasn't new. But if it was the first time I went to it, it was all in one place. So I, I really liked the books. The, the incel study was good. We had a lot of guys uh, having conversations on the side and things like that. But those interactions were what made Defy different from everything else. You know, is yeah. they brought people in that weren't afraid to, you know, if you got somebody behind a cage, I can imagine how animals at the zoo feel. They're treating you like you're a scary thing all day. Mm -hmm. And so to have people come in there and like, you know, like there is no cage. Hey, what's going on with you? Like, what's happening? I don't want to talk about prison and all the terrible stuff, you know, whatever. But who are you? Like, what do you want to be? Where are you trying to go? Mm -hmm. You know? Sounds like the yeah. biggest impact was these local businessmen and women coming in and treating you human again and lighting that fire inside of you for your own entrepreneurial yeah. or yeah. employment that right. you're you could see that in your future again. Right. Oh yeah. And and they yeah. weren't these these people weren't patting me on the head like for oh, you know, your resume is you spelled everything wrong, but that's okay. Like <laughs> they're really expecting, they're expecting like high level performance. Mm -hmm. Like, hey man, what, what's this right here? No, no, you need to change this. I see what you were doing here, but you know, this could be worded better. That was great because now you you see me on a on a you see me in a way that I could I could I could um I could participate in the economy that we have now. Yes. Like I could get on your level or maybe yes. even a higher level. Like you're not seeing me as some simpleton that, hey, you know, he knows his name. Yay. Like, <laughs> Which I'm sure you are probably getting a lot of that and, and probably still do it to some effect when people find out that you were formerly incarcerated, right? They don't have very high expectations, I would imagine. Like we're all different. We're all unique, you know? Yes. And so like one of one of the one of the I get a lot of feedback where people do their shock that I was in prison and they do see a lot of potential in me. Good. Um, but I have a lot of um, 
people that I care about, you know, because I live with, you know, people that they don't always get that type of feedback, mm-hmm. you know, you know, and that's because the benefits I had of where I was raised, I ventured off for like a year and doing something stupid and I had an excellent, you know, I just didn't have a lot of the trauma that some of these, that some of other people have. And so they don't always get that type of, oh, wow, you're really articulate. You could, you know, there's a lot of things you can do. Oh man. Mm-hmm. Like, so a lot of people do see value in me, you know, and I'm appreciative of that. I had no business doing what I was doing. Yeah. You know, I didn't have environmental pressures that were pushing it. The people that do have environmental pressures that were pushing it, they need to be seen as um, somebody that can have high potential, even though it might not be aware at the moment, mm-hmm. because it, we got to stretch them. That's what I do. I do the transformational coaching sometimes, and I will stretch a person out. You tell me I you want to be that. a doctor, you want to be an engineer. I don't give a damn if you can't read. You can be an engineer. You can get there. Let's just talk. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the steps. So mm-hmm. first thing we got to do, we got you got you got to learn how to read. Mm-hmm. So how are we reacting to that? What, what do we have to do today to start that process of you getting be able to read? Because if you learn how to read, then we can get to this step to that step to that step. But I would never shatter any type of as long as it's realistic. And they want to yeah. be an alien or something, I'm not gonna say. But if they want to <laughs> be an engineer, <laughs> then I'm gonna tell them I don't care where you're at. We're just going to look at, and this is what I like about business. We're going to look at your current reality and we're going to figure out the steps to get to where you got to get to. This is your current job being a transformational coach. Well, t- well technically, yeah. The, that group success stories that I worked yeah. for or that, yeah. I, um, that I was in prison work for, they turned that into a nonprofit. We hire guys that get out of prison. Some guys, you know, yeah. a lot of the core team guys. And so that's who I'll be working with. I we'll go am back into prison, so happy like for you. I'm so yeah. happy. You- you found your passion and you're operating in it to the utmost of your ability and you're giving back. That's the beauty of it. When you really, when something really has transformed you or when you really know it, even in school, you can tell the students who have grasped a concept because they can teach it themselves, right? So you are being that to other people and that the fact that you know that the people, you've been in their position, so you know their need, you know the hope you know they need to feel valued and seen, but they also need to do the work. So I like how you say, stretch people. Yeah. We all need that, yes. but we need somebody to do that with love. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. The most, I, I, I tell you, like, um, and I, I didn't get dark with it, kind of Monte Cristo, but I'm, I'm going to get dark real quick. Okay, go for it. I'm listening. There's a line in that movie, um, in, that movie in the book where he says, um, he says, all wisdom is summed up in this. I believe he says this. All wisdom is summed up in this. Wait and hope. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell you right now, a lot of people that have been incarcerated, especially if you get a lot of time, like you've got a life sentence, 65 years, whatever, um, suicide ideation, common factor. And in my moment of the darkest moment I ever had, mm-hmm. where logically it made sense to me to just not exist anymore. It, made lo- it, wasn't, a, it wasn't emotional. It didn't feel emotional. It probably was. Mm-hmm. But at the time, it seemed logical that Mm -hmm. I was projecting a future that every day was going to be like the day I was in. Mm -hmm. Every day is going to be like this. And if every day is going to be like this, then I shouldn't be here because it's Mm going to hurt my mom. It's going to hurt all these people. And I made these decisions. And therefore, I don't want money being spent. I just need to be gone. Mm -hmm. And that line popped up where it said that, well, you could always do that tomorrow. You might as well wait. You could always do that. Mm-hmm. It's always an option. So we might as well see what tomorrow brings. Mm-hmm. And that literally kept me, kept me going. And I've wow. been, I've spoken, 
I've spoken to people about it. And yeah. when we get into that, 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 uh, that level of depression and things, um, it always works for me. It's like, it's always wait and hope. Yeah. Wait because and hope. That's just, that's, I love it. So did you say kind of Monte Cristo is your favorite book or what is your, okay. Like give so me your many. top five authors or top five books. I, I couldn't either. I couldn't tell you. So nobody ask me please what Seriously. my favorite book or my, or my favorite author yeah. is by genre. I could give you like top five right. of each genre. Right. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> I mean, because I love fantasy, I love uh, nonfiction, history, mm-hmm. you know, I'm really on like on a, I'm like on a philosophy bent right now. I've been reading mm-hmm. some J.S. Mill and um, the Schopenhauer um, because it's, it really stretches you. Um, Michelle Foucault. Yeah. I'm not, I love philosophy, but I need to read that in community with other people because I don't understand it. I have a really hard time grasping the concept. So I need to listen to other people's opinions. I could sit on one sentence for a very long time and meditate on that and chew on it, but it's not my, uh, my cup of tea. I veer more towards psychology and uh, theology and uh, comparative religions and uh, oh, yeah. stuff and biographies. And, and I love biographies. Oh, that's all philosophy is. Well, good. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks yes. for teaching me that. <laughs> oh, shoot. Yeah. I like, I like biographies too. What a biography. Um, my grandma was such a, like awesome so she sent me like so many random books that just worked like she sent me the help and then like the next week i get a long walk to freedom by huh? um yeah you, you, yeah, oh, you know, know that um, one. yeah so uh madiba um long walk of freedom. So, nelson mandela nelson mandela yes and uh yeah, they called him madiba when he was a kid then, oh, um, that's right and, yeah, and so and mind you, like now that I'm out, I can see how difficult it is to be intentional about your reading. Like you literally have to. So many people have access to you, but when I was in there, you're in the cell. You just have moments where you just you just delve deep, and you want to escape anyway. So you 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 it's a voracious appetite. Mm-hmm. Articles, whatever, mm-hmm. and then of course there's these passionate debates that take place, and you can't really weigh into the debate unless you know what you're talking about. And so mm-hmm. there's no internet. There's none of that. You know, and so um, I was doing a lot of reading in there just because it's crazy. You, you know, this from one page to the next could be transformational. Your life can change, yes. even though it doesn't change on the outside. The inner motivation, the, the, the inner motor is tweaked and ramped yes. up in a different way so that the next morning you're going to be walking in a different direction, mm-hmm. all because of, of some symbols on a page. Yes, the power of words. And and you were even kind of hinting at that in the music you were listening to, the power of words, what they did oh, yeah. to your mind as well. So in our yes. music lyrics and especially in our books and just hearing other people's stories, how that transforms your own thoughts. Like, oh, I hadn't ever thought of this or like what you were saying, you were hearing some stories of people who actually lived in Compton and South Central LA and Hey, that didn't jive with what I thought it was like. All of us are, we have these preconceived notions of everybody else's life. And then we read about them or we hear the truth. And that's just beautiful. That's expanding our world. And I can't imagine a life without those opportunities and that constant learning. I'm a better person for having met you. You enrich my life. And you're always going to be a part of it now. Isn't that beautiful? I love yeah, that. Yeah, and you're a part of mine. 
Is this yeah. why I really love the mission you're doing? Because you're you're not doing the performance. You're not providing the polish. You're providing yeah. the real, which is what which, what really needs to be digested. Like mm -hmm. these are uh, categories that we have of people, lines, and every line has to be defended. Um, and they tend to do more harm than good. And Very so true. the more more people reveal that we're deeper than these superficial things we're looking at, we start to see where the real value is at. Um, yes. Yes. We start to recognize that the, the temporariness, the transientness, what does my aunt say? My aunt always says the impermanence of everything. Impermanence. Is, That's a good word. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. She says the good ain't gonna last, the bad ain't gonna last, life ain't gonna last, but that doesn't mean that it has less value. It's actually more valuable because of that. Yes. So, Oh, well, this. I'm going to, I have so much to sit and chew on today now. Wow. This is going to be a, it's going to be a great day. I, seriously, I sit and think on those things. And then like we come together as a family and talk about this or I'll say, oh, I met this person today who really challenged my thinking on this or so-and-so said this. What are your thoughts on that? I like to always just keep taking and adding to the, yes. uh, it sounds like you, you guys in prison, your debates that you would have. I long for people to do that with me. I don't want to have to go to prison to do it, but you know, I mean, right. it sounds like it worked well for you. And that was this yes. constant intellectual curiosity and intellectual growth eventually changes your heart, no matter where you are. This just happened to be right. the building you were in, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, but I do, I do really honestly want to commend you for doing well, We're thank you. You're, you're sweet. You know, well, um, I also want to honor your time and we're really close to the end here. I only have three closing questions. Um, these should be easy. I start easy and end easy, but the last ones are pretty deep and I know you could take yeah. these and spin quite a yarn with them. So you have as much time as you want, but they are the closing questions. What is your one tip to make the world a better place? Courage over confidence. Confidence comes from the fact that you know you'll do well. Courage is what you do and what you tap into when you know there's a chance it might not go well. Mm -hmm. And so those are the most important moments. So I would tap into courageousness, courageous integrity. Say how you feel without trying to harm somebody. You know, there's, there's a way to do that. There's a balance, mm -hmm. you know. Um, get your meaning out into the world because our unique perspectives our experiences in dna give us a lens that we have almost a duty to share for other people to be able to consider where they could choose to not have or to, to you know to negate it or 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 to not accept it or whatever but we have to give them the opportunity to see that particular aspect of existence mm -hmm. so courageously express you know yes your, you have beautiful words what are you the most thankful for right now? I mean, I would say existence. I'm thankful for the, for the perspective that I have. I'm thankful that I haven't been destroyed by my choices. There is so much. I'm thankful for the ability to feel love that I've gotten to that point. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm thankful, right? I'm thankful for the ability to give love, like for real, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I'm thankful for time. I'm thankful for, for, I'm thankful for the choice, like people like you. I'm thankful for the fact that you never quit, that all your choices that you made in your, in your life have led up to this moment mm. provides value, value to me. 
So okay. you see, okay. like all yeah. these worlds. We yeah. all are all connected, aren't we? That's what I'm yes. learning. We're way more connected than we think we are. We need each other. And we spend all of our time categorizing and putting everybody in these little bubbles or putting ourselves in bubbles instead of opening up to each other. I don't know what that fear is, but yeah, there we are. We are connected. Well, this last one's going to be hard for you. I already know it because it's hard for me and we both love books so much. So what is your favorite quote? Is it the wait and hope one? That was useful in a particular time. You know what? I just read a quote by a, Oh, wait, wait, do I have it here? No, I don't. But, um, there's actually a quote with, um, oh, there's so many. I know. <laughs> I used to have it let, me, let me tell you how crazy this is. On my, sh on my wall in, uh, in high school, in my mom's house, like on my bedroom wall, I had a T-shirt on the back of the T-shirt that says, a man who stands for nothing will fall for anything. Yeah. And that quote is very powerful. And it's so ironic that I had it when I wasn't standing. I had it plastered on my wall. Like, like it was the center of everything. And yeah. all these images of people with Lamborghinis and gold chains everywhere uh -huh. and i thought i was really living that oh wow and i was falling for anything yeah yeah i wasn't i wasn't standing for nothing and so yeah. um it ties into winston churchill said that if everybody likes you it's because you haven't stood for anything Ooh, those tie together it's something along those lines yeah yeah yeah. Said, yeah if every you know if you don't have enemies <laughs> then chances are you haven't stood for anything he said, I, I can't remember exactly how he said it, but that, that's, that's very two. convicting to me that I, I totally see that because I spent so much of my own life trying to make sure everybody's happy. It's kind of similar to what you're saying. I just want everybody to know that I love them and I want to be nice to everybody and I don't want people to be mad at me, but that means you're not really standing for anything. And if you really are, you're going to offend people. And that's just the way it is. That's their choice. It says more about them than it says about you. And, yes. um, I'm learning that right now. So it's really apropos that that's your favorite quote and teaching yes. me. Can I say one more thing just because we're here? Yes. Okay. I got this little concept that I've been thinking about and um, it goes, it ties into that a little bit. Um, I would tell people to be a sun. I'm really big on astro um, astronomy a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, the difference between a sun and a planet. A sun, once it becomes a star, you know, it's it reaches, um, it's a what's it, what they call it um, um that's a capacity to maintain itself mm -hmm. it burns because it wants to burn for no other purpose and it generates light and energy that is that are useful to planets and life mm -hmm. the sun would burn if there were planets or not it doesn't it's not concerned about the people benefiting from its light it just yeah. chooses to do what it does and that's what a real artist is yeah. Like you're doing what you're doing because you can't not do it. Exactly. I said those words. Right. Yeah. Right. But yeah. there are planets who need a sun. And so they'll uh. look without a sun. And so in any moment of the day, or even in or just in our life in general, to ask, am I being a sun right now or am I being a planet? You know? That's that is fantastic. Yes. I had to work as a janitor in prison. Mm -hmm. And I'm cleaning toilets for like the warden and all of these mm -hmm. people. Very humbling on a on a few different levels. Mm -hmm. But um, I took pride in it for whatever reason. But um, I, from those experiences, and I worked on a trash truck. I will never, ever devalue those roles in society. They are mm -hmm. just as important as a CEO or anybody else. 
Yes. The trash truck people say, we're not picking up trash for three days, or you're going to feel that. Yes. And so um, um, we're all contributing to these systems. We are. All of us. We're uh, all contributors. You know, and the and, way uh, we do anything is the way we do everything. So whether yes. you do, you're at the lowest level in our society saying, you know, I'm only a janitor, I'm only a trash man. If you ever reach another level, you're going to do whatever you did at this level, at that level, or vice versa, right. you know? So yes. um, it's it's very powerful and impacting to, yeah. to be able to see the good in others and give them that power. Don't hold on to oh, it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're doing that in your, in your work. So I wish you the best um, in your continued uh, growth and in your journey of life from here on out. And uh, we, we should stay in touch for sure. Oh yeah. We get, we have to, cause I like, this is really just the appetizer. There's yes. so many different <laughs> avenues. Yes. Um, you can show me like a little, you, you show me a little bit of, some of the ideas swimming around in your head and I would love to be able to pull on some of those threads. Oh, for sure. I really appreciate this. It felt like a little, a little bit of a celebrity to be invited to do an interview. I was like, Oh wow. What for real? Me? You know, that's wonderful. And you've been wonderful. This experience has been great. Um, I feel my insecurities popped up a little bit. Like maybe I should have prepared a little more to make more out of it. But um, I I appreciate authenticity and genuineness and the less pretense the better so i love it thank you so much that's right all (laughs) right Corey. um it's been wonderful thank you so much oh chris you make my heart so happy his insight into the human condition astounds me he's so perceptive intelligent and humble i just love how he said People have opened up to me about a lot of stuff because I make myself safe for them. Right there, that's the key. There's no judgment in him. Chris brings such wisdom to our conversation. He's an avid reader and lifelong learner, and it shows in how he's educated himself. I was deeply convicted by his observation of Schopenhauer's supposition that Pride is having the conviction that you are something without it needing to be confirmed by anybody outside of you, while vanity is trying to get that conviction about yourself through other people. I just love how Chris spouts off such profound thoughts like it's just nothing. We both share the same yearning for deep waters. I felt like we were geeking out together on all the great books we read and our shared love of learning. What a joy it was. There were two particular phrases, Chris said, among the multitude he dropped on us, that really caused me pause and made me want to spend some time meditating about. The first one was when he said, the biggest courage is the acceptance of self and risking the rejection of others. That's heavy. And the second one was, if the dissonance hits hard enough, You'll push past the shame into reconstruction. Wow. What impresses me is not only his recollection of quotes from what he reads, but how he even creates new quotes of his own from lived experience and observation. Man, Chris is a quote machine and an excellent teacher. Chris, you have the courage of a lion now, my friend. St. Augustine says, The truth is like a lion. 
You don't have to defend it. Let it loose. It will defend itself. May we all have the courage to speak the truth with as much clarity and humility as Chris has. Thank you for listening to Gramercy. Remember, there is no them, just us. See you down the road.